says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there, shall, there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he, pro which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, the world has given us a pair of eyes that discriminate between people. And we discriminate for the wrong reasons. And Lord, we look to your word, the truth, to give us a right way of viewing the world, a right way of viewing our brothers and sisters, and to focus our, our eyes on you again. Lord, we pray that you would use us tonight, remove those distractions that so easily capture our minds. Lord, we're so used to staring at a TV screen or a computer screen and having all kinds of advertisements and media and all kinds of different things thrown at us on a daily basis. But Lord, we pray that your simple, pure word would speak to us clearly, Lord, from your voice, from your heart. Let there be nothing of me that speaks tonight, but let it be all about you. We pray that you would fill us a fresh Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. The problem was that people in church gatherings would see a rich person walk in and say, oh yeah, we got the VIP seating for you here in the church, in our assembly. And so they would give them a proper place. But for the poor person or the guy who smells bad or the filthy guy in filthy clothes walks in, they're like, yeah, well, there's standing room or you can sit here at my feet. And they would treat them differently. And I think it's easy to observe that our world values some people over others. Just think about going into New York City and you see a celebrity. Now the way that you view a celebrity is very different than your reaction to a homeless man. Right? You see your favorite celebrity, whoever it is, Ryan Gosling. Like, oh my gosh! Oh my. You wouldn't do that homeless man. Oh my gosh, a homeless man! Oh my goodness, can we get a picture together? Some of you would maybe, I don't know. Might be creepy. But we, we view these people a little bit differently. There was uh, 
a woman by the name of Princess Diana. How many of you even know who that is? Raise your hand. Okay, wow, I'm surprised because many of you were born right around the time that she died. Princess Diana was kind of like the Kim Kardashian of the day in the 90s. Not in this, okay, that's a bad comparison, but she was one of those people that was famous for just being famous, it would seem. And Princess Diana died in a high-speed car chase because her driver was drunk, as many of you know, in 1997. Now, what you may not know because you were so young at the time was an estimated 2.5 billion people watched the funeral. That's almost half the people in the entire world at the time. There were over 1 million people in attendance at her funeral. Over 1 million people. Hear what people had to say about her. Her brother, Charles Spencer, said she was the very essence of compassion. Andrew Morton, Diana's biographer on ABC, said, One of the most awful tragedies of the late 20th century, if not the greatest. In her death, something inside us all has died. People are grieving for lost hopes, lost dreams, lost ambitions, the waste of this life on the brink of so much opportunity on the zenith of her achievement. Margaret Evans, a British researcher, studied tributes people left for Diana after death and found that some referred, her, referred to her as a saint or an angel and few compared her directly with Jesus. So people obviously viewed this woman in such high regard, the celebrity. But what you may not know and what a lot of people don't know is someone else died the night before. And the person who died the night before had no media coverage whatsoever. It was pushed out of the news and it was only showing Princess Diana's. And in fact, Princess Diana in Time Magazine got 40 pages. But the person who died the night before only got seven pages. You want to know who that was? Mother Teresa. The day before Princess Diana died, Mother Teresa died. And it was almost completely pushed out of the media for Princess Diana's funeral. Isn't that crazy? A statue was erected of Princess Diana that was suggestive of the Virgin Mary. Princeton philosopher Peter Singer said, celebrities have now replaced religious figures. And I think as we live in the world, we can also inappropriately value some people over other people. I think that's easy to see just by the way our culture value some traits over others. And as we approach James tonight, we're going to find five reasons why we are to love others equally. Five reasons why we are not to treat people with partiality. We find that in verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now partiality here, the word literally means to receive the face, meaning people make judgments based on the external, and we are not to do uh, judge people based on their appearances. Why don't, why don't someone raise their hand and tell me what are some standards that we base on the external? What are some traits that we value or the world values? Yes, Edwin. What's that? Fashion. All right, that's one. So looks, appearances. 
What else? Raise your hand. Okay. Nick? Snow. Oh, smell. Well, besides being beautiful or handsome, those traits, what's another one? What's that? Financial status, money, power. Josh? Athletic ability. So talents. You have to be fit. You have to be popular. You have to have a lot of friends. And so the world will tell you that you're, to be a valuable person, you have to have one of these criteria. But the Bible tells us that God himself, who is the Lord of glory, does not treat people with partiality. He does not have favorites. And we know in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, as many of you know, David recalls, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Why does he say that my soul knows very well? Because he recognizes himself, he is created in the image of God. He himself is created just the way that God wants him for a specific purpose. And when you realize, like it says in verse 1, that our Lord is the Lord of glory, what you realize is the Lord doesn't create unglorious people. You know, through sin, through the fall, we have different things that separate us from God, but God himself has created us in his image. If you are created in his image, you are therefore precious and valuable to him. If God is not partial, like it says here, and we are to imitate him as believers in Christ, then we should also not be partial. In other words, have these worldly barriers. You as a Christian should not view people by the world's standards. Why? Because God loves you regardless of your talents, regardless of your abilities, and regardless of your physical features and perfections. God did not choose you to be a Christian. God did not choose you in your calling because you're talented. God did not need you to look good. God did not need you to smell good, as Nick said. God chose you just the way you are to bring you into his purposes. So the first reason that we are not to be partial is that God is not partial. We as Christians can't view some people valued over other people because God himself does not do that. Number two, second reason why we are not to be partial is that partiality is self-seeking. Look at verse 2. Partiality is self-seeking. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there shall come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Why do you think he says evil thoughts? What's so bad about viewing the rich guy and wanting him to sit in, yeah, maybe he's got like Versace or he's got the Gucci jeans and he, he can't mess it up. So like, obviously if he's filthy, he just belongs on the floor. Like, why would you mess that up? And the guy in the Gucci jeans, you know, he's going to sit there. Maybe you got to do that. Well, why do you think he says evil thoughts? Because, I'll give you the answer. I'm glad you asked. When we show partiality, we prove we are lovers of self rather than lovers of our neighbors. 
When we show partiality, we prove that we are lovers of ourselves rather than lovers of our neighbors. In other words, you will look at people as means to accomplish what you want. And so these Christians were looking at the rich people and saying, oh, man, maybe if I'm nice to this guy, he's going to have my back. Maybe if I'm nice to this guy, he's going to give me a good tip. You know, it's kind of like if any of you waiters or waitresses, okay, not yet. You kind of like treat people like when a rich guy comes into your restaurant, you're like giving them like the star treatment because you know they're going to give you a good tip. But if like kids come in who you know have no money, you're just like whatever because they're not going to tip you very well. So you look at people as a means to accomplish what you want. So namely the thing for them was to receive money. Now how many of us do the exact same thing in a different context? How many of us students come to youth group and spend time only with the guy or the girl that we like? Because we want something out of them, right? We want a relationship out of them. So we make sure that we focus our energy and time and attention into one person. And so you may not be talking to them. But maybe you're just your proximity is near them. Like you, you kind of hover like a distance. And as soon as they maybe it's like the width of the teen center. And so when they shift, you got to like kind of follow. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe this was just me in high school. I was that guy. I'm just saying. If you're ever wondering how I know these things, it's only because I've done them. So this shows, and if I, if none of you relate with any of this, then I'm just crazy, which is probably true, but. Anyway, this shows that our separation is purposeful. Douglas Moo, the commentator, said on this, the improper division being made among visitors to the assembly is nothing more than a reflection of the improper divisions harbored in the minds of the believers. These physical separations are only a shadow of the mental divisions that we have in our minds and in our hearts. So one such division is being in the cool clique at youth group. Being amongst the people that you think are popular. Or maybe those that like One Direction and those that don't like One Direction. And you separate based on that kind of a thing. But making physical divisions between the body of Christ shows that we have mental divisions as well. Now there might be a kid in church that's like the, the kid. I don't think we have any here. But there's one kid that just doesn't shower. It happens in every, every year or every generation. There's one kid in your school, never showers. He just hasn't learned yet. And so that person, you are more prone to give them a handshake than a hug. I remember there was one student back in the day, back when I was in high school. I'm obviously, no one knows him, so whatever. I was reluctant to give this person a hug, especially when you go to a foreign country and they use different deodorant over there. And they give them a hug and kind of like lingers on you, like the armpit effect is like, and you like see the stain afterwards. <laughs> and so when you go for the handshake, it's not just the fact that you don't want to hug the person. It's because you're holding a mental division in your mind. You're separating yourself, not just physically, but mentally as well. So if that's the case with physical things, why is it that we are naturally drawn to talk to cool people? Like when Mark Cahill was speaking to us, he was talking about evangelizing to Kanye West, evangelizing to Vanilla Ice and all these famous people. And we're immediately like, oh man, that's cool. Oh man, I, I hope I get to do that one day. And so we immediately think like we prefer to evangelize to some people over other people because we feel like 
if I evangelize to someone who has a lot of influence over the media, perhaps they'll have a lot of influence for Christ in the media. So we start thinking in that kind of a way and we avoid the poor people. But if you remember, Jesus, when he came to this earth, did not go to the rich. He did not go to the famous. Who did he go to? Who did he go to? The what? The poor. The sinners. The people who were not popular. How different is that from our society? We want to talk to all the popular, all the cool people. Some people are constantly trying so hard to be relevant and trying to be cool that they'll follow the trend wherever it leads, at whatever cost. And if you notice, trends change so fast. Remember when it was popular to collect silly bands? And you had to get, yeah, that wasn't even that long ago. Who has silly bands? Raise your hand if you have a silly band. Really? Oh, you guys. Okay, well, when I was a kid, I don't know how many of you followed in this trade, but there was the Tickle Me Elmos. You remember that? And everyone had to get the Tickle Me Elmo. It wasn't the regular Elmo. You had to get the right one. And people literally fight over these things. You hear about it in the news, like people are trampled over again the Tickle Me Elmo. What is so good about Tickle Me Elmo? I'm sorry. I just do not understand. Have you ever heard about the malfunctioned ones? Has anyone heard about that in the news? There, no, 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 no. There was a death threat Elmo that actually, it was programmed to remember your name. So when you squeeze its stomach, you remember your name. And one little boy named James, I guess they took out the batteries, they put it back in, and all of a sudden it was like, kill James! Kill James! It's so funny. You can look it up on YouTube. And there's another one where you, if you press the button, it was like, uh-oh, who wants to die? I tell you, look it up. You know what? This just reminds me of the verse. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. Remember that impact youth group. All right. Anyway, do you take up a hobby just because you want to follow suit in what everyone else is doing? Or do you sincerely like the hobby that you do? I had a friend who, like, we all got into longboarding. And my friend was like, all right, I'm going to buy a longboard. He bought a longboard. And we were like, I'm done longboarding. It's over. He's like, but I never got to use my longboard. Like, well, if you like longboarding, just go longboarding. It's like, but no one else is doing it. And that kind of shows you where you want to follow the trends. And some people will more seriously try to be more liberal in their Christianity and seek out freedoms to fit in with the cooler Christians, the hip Christians. And they'll say, well, you know, it's a, I'm allowed to do this, I'm allowed to do that because they're doing it and I just want to fit in with the crowd. But you know, Jesus could have come down as a rock star. He could have come as an Olympic champion or a king, but he chose to come as a humble child, a weak, poor, normal-looking baby. So being a light for Christ will never be cool by worldly standards. And if we're trying as a church to catch up with the world, we're always going to lose. But what we can do as a church is set the standard of art. What we can do as a church is set the standard for music and the creative arts and try to set the bar and show them that the, the world is always different from what the Christian faith has to offer. So the wrong part that we would play is to try to fit in with the world. And in Psalm 27 verse 4, I think David expressed it well when he said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. In other words, live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, he says, there's only one thing I want. I don't care necessarily about being popular. I don't care necessarily about fitting in with what the world has to offer. I want to live in the church. I want to live in the temple of the Lord. And I wonder if that's our desire. You say, I want to be amongst other believers, regardless of their popularity, regardless of their power or status or how they look or how they smell. I want to be surrounded by other believers in the house of God. So number three, partiality values the wrong things. Partiality values the wrong things. Look at verse five. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? James points out that the same exact people that they're trying to appeal to and they're giving honor to in the church are the same exact people that oppress them. These Pharisees and the rich rulers that they're appealing to and say, hey, you sit here and you sit there. These are the people dragging them into the streets. These are the people oppressing them and blaspheming the very name of Jesus. Now, let's bring it to today's society. This can also be true when we pursue worldly values in people. What are some examples? Well, let's say... You're a guy and you're searching for the perfect girl. But this perfect girl messes with your emotions and treats you like trash. And has no awareness of how much she's hurting you. Or maybe you're a girl and the same thing's happening with a guy. And you're like, well, the guy has nice abs, but he treats you with, like trash. And it doesn't matter what the guy looks like. If his character is not the character of God, then it's always going to end in failure. Because you're not pursuing after the same thing. The smartest people you know often treat you like you're stupid. People that we're giving honor to because of their worldly values are the same people that treat us in the wrong way. In other words, they don't even return the favor. So the irony is pointed out in verse 7 where he says, Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Why give honor to people who dishonor Jesus? Why do we glorify the people that dishonor God? So many people worship musicians who take our Lord's name in vain. They're like, well, yeah, you know, they say some bad, bad words here and there, but overall the music is really good and we'll talk about how much we love them. Or you'll have a popular kid if you go to public school. I had a lot of popular kids telling me, oh, man, check out that girl or look over here. And they were basically telling me, without putting it in verbatim, they were saying, treat girls like objects. Treat women like objects. By telling me to focus my eyes on worldly things. But they're the popular kid in the class. If I'm not following suit, they're going to call me names. They're going to think I'm gay. They're going to do all these different things. And those are the things that race in your mind. But you have to realize that we're not here to please men. We're here to please who? We're here to please God. Regardless of how people in this world treat you because they treated our Savior like trash. They rejected our Savior. It wasn't the poor, although I'm sure there were a couple poor here and there. 
It, were, it was the rich, it was the leaders, the religious that rejected Jesus. So here's the point. I want everyone to look up here. Here's an important point. Those who blaspheme the name of God should not be given proper seating in the church. Those that blaspheme God should not be given proper seating in the church. And those who blaspheme God should not be given the best seating in our hearts. A person that blasphemes the name of God should not be given the best seating in the temple of God that is physical and should, be not, uh, should not be given the best seating in our hearts, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So who are you putting on the throne of your heart? Who is it that you hold in high esteem because of worldly things, worldly values? If it's not God, it's an idol. And God calls us to, as Christians, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Number four, partiality misses the mission of God. Partiality misses the mission of God. Look at verse eight. If you really, and this word really, really should be however. It says, if you however, instead fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. It's a good, good job. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convic convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, a lot of you have probably heard people use verse 10 to say that all sin is the same in God's eyes. That's not true, necessarily. This isn't the case because the point James is making is that all of the commandments of God are linked together, which means you can't just pick and choose which ones you want to obey and not suffer the consequences of sin, not suffer the consequences of the wrath of God against you by saying, well, I'm just going to not obey this one commandment. I'm not going to respect my parents. I don't really care what they say. I'm just not going to murder. But I'm just going to pick and choose which commandments I want to obey. But you remember that in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, up here on the board, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Many people forget that. But when you sin against even one law, we have broken the entire law. That's the point. Not the fact that all sin is the same equally. They're equally bad laws with each other. But when you break one law, the entire thing is broken. How many of you, this is a geek question. How many of you code in HTML or JavaScript? Okay, no one. Great. This illustration will not make sense to any of you. I just figured because you're young people, maybe you know how to code. When I was in high school, I was a geek, so I, I learned HTML code. And the thing about HTML code and whenever you're coding in any kind of language is if you screw up even one thing, this is why I stopped doing it. You screw up in one little thing, the entire thing is broken. Have you ever had a Tumblr or something? You had to like edit the HTML. You, do, you like forget one character or something. And the whole thing just does not work. Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's the way it works. 
So in the same way, if one law is broken, the entire law is broken. Not to say there aren't smaller and greater parts. There's a book called The Fourth Book of Maccabees, which puts this well. I know what you're thinking. It's not here on the board, is it? Okay, it's not the Bible. But you're probably wondering why I'm quoting the Apocrypha. It's because they put it in, in a good way that I just want to illustrate for you here. Although it's not the inspired word of God, it's kind of like a quote from an author. So on this it would say, uh, in the fourth book of Maccabees, chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Therefore do not suppose that it would be a petty sin if we were to eat defiling food. To transgress the law in matters either small or great is of equal seriousness, for in either case the law is equally despised. I really like that. Because in either case, whether it's a big sin or a small sin, you're equally despising the word and the law of God. So there you go. Shout out to the Apocrypha. When it says royal law here, it's talking about the entire will of God. That's all it basically means. The mission of God. What he desires for every person. And the royal law of God, the entire will of God, is that he demands that we love all people. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus died for how many people? A couple people? Two people? All sinners, every single person in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's not that God chose to die for some, but he died for all. So we can't believe that we believe in the good news of Jesus and then treat some people like trash. Now here's where it gets a little practical. Maybe you're the type of person that looks down on those who have committed the big sins. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian school or you've grown up in the church your entire life and people that commit big sins, like they do drugs or they, they have sex or they're promiscuous or they're uh, indulging in all kinds of different things, and you assume that these people are wicked and you're holy just because they've committed bigger sins. Now, I am one of those people that grew up in the church who never did one of those huge sins, although I've done many sinful things, as you guys know, who's ever spent time with me. We're not to look down on those kinds of people because God loves all and he treats them equally. The question, though, that really boggles a lot of people's minds is, what about people like Hitler? What about people like the Boston bomber? If he was to, right now, while he's on the loose and he's being chased by police, if he was to pray that God forgives him of his sins, would he go to heaven? What would you think? Would he go to heaven? Yes. How is that fair? Isn't there something that has to be done? Isn't there something wrong about the fact that this guy can just kind of get like this escape out of jail free card? Like he can just pray a prayer and then all of a sudden he's in heaven for all of eternity. To many of us it might seem unfair. How could God allow those people to go to heaven? But here's the point. For us to qualify our forgiveness is to look down on God's sacrifice as well as minimize our sinfulness. I'm going to say that slow so that you understand. For us to qualify our forgiveness is to look down on Jesus' sacrifice as well as minimize our sinfulness. So in other words, if we're saying that people have to be as holy as you in order to receive forgiveness, you're looking down on Jesus' sacrifice. You can't say, well, yeah, that person, he's a sinner, and they at least have to do 
what I've done in order to go to salvation, you're completely putting yourself on a pedestal and you're forgetting the entire gospel. It doesn't matter what you've done. God died for all so that all would be forgiven. Forgiven. Turn to Luke chapter 7 real quick. I want to show you a story that I think uh, points this out very well. Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36. Talking to Jesus, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when this... When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Pay attention. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. That was a troubling verse for me for a while. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Because then I was like, well, does that mean that, like, I'm not going to be able to love God in the way that I should in comparison with a sinner? Well, on the other hand, the people that have grown up in the church go through different struggles. Not that they're not bad and that we don't suffer with pride and things like that, but you'll, you'll think things like, am I really saved? You've never had a conversion experience where you've seen yourself as, you know, a terrible sinner and wicked and you're killing people and all kinds of terrible stuff. And then you transform and you're like Paul and now you're living your life for the gospel and you don't kill people anymore. You don't have that kind of story. So it's hard to, to say at what point you become saved. And you ask, what is my testimony? And you start, you start working up emotions to feel bad for sin. And you start feeling like you don't fit in with people that are on fire for God because they have been forgiven much. Well, these kinds of people have to realize that God has kept themselves pure for a particular use that God has for you. You see, the fact that you've kept yourself pure up until this point is not for naught. A lot of people might feel, well, Maybe I should go out and experience so that I have a testimony. Maybe you're rationalizing like that. Maybe it's okay to experiment with some things. Maybe it's okay to go drink or go to parties so that I have a testimony and so God is more glorified. You know what that saying? That's just like in Romans where it says, well, maybe I could sin so that grace may abound. Are we to do that? Certainly not, the Bible says. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, if you look at it with me, it's on the board. It says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. 
Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, by keeping yourself in line with God's law and by keeping yourself pure for God, what God does is he sees that and rewards you for it, not only here on this earth, but also in heaven, and uses your specific testimony to bless other people, to show that it is possible to walk in God's ways. So number five, the final reason is partiality forgets God's impartial judgment. Partiality forgets God's impartial judgment. You see that in verses 12 through 13. Look at it with me. So, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We have been given freedom in Christ, but we are still given a law that must be followed. So you are to be careful how you treat others. Matthew 7, 2 says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. It's easy to point out faults in others and to completely overlook your own shortcomings. You might be able to see that the pain and suffering that results from bad sins, quote-unquote, like adultery and rape, the serious sins that anyone will look at. It's easy to look at the bomber and say, well, that's, that's a terrible person and see the pain and hurt that results from that and completely overlook your shortcoming when you view pornography or completely miss the pain and hurt that results from you uh, messing with certain substances. And you feel like, well, it's, not, it's surely not that bad. I mean, I'm not really hurting anyone when I do this. And you completely miss the sinfulness of sin and how the root of it is the same. What's the root of it? Selfishness, self, uh, self-service, and self-seeking. We're looking to please ourselves. And so we, we have that same root. And if we let it grow in our hearts, that's how these things happen. Does it happen overnight that people just start bombing people? If it was, then people wouldn't wonder. People wouldn't go investigating these things and say, well, what was the cause? What was his upbringing like? People wouldn't wonder those things. Say, oh, well, people just randomly bomb people. You see, the root of it is the problem. The root of it is that sin seeks itself. We all want to do things our own way. We want to neglect what God has for us and his plans, his laws. And so we seek to do things our own way. So if it's left undealt with, it will grow. And it's important to realize that when we confront other people with sins, don't forget to take the plank out of your own eye. To look at yourself, self-examine, and say, is there something within me that is keeping me from God? So in conclusion, I want you to think about the command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second and greatest commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is the standard is the way that you love yourself, everyone loves themselves, wants to see themselves to love someone else equally as you do yourself. The things that you want done to you and how you want people to treat you, you go and do, other, do unto others. And the Christian who neglects that command shows that the only one he really loves is himself. If you drop out that neighbor part, all you have is love yourself. But if you put back in the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't do that, you'll be just using people to make yourself feel better. It'll be for self-gain. You'll be doing things and looking at other people and how they can please you. 
I think the real problem is that people are just using other people to become something. Don't miss this last point. So everyone look up here. The problem is we as Christians often still want to become something. We want to be known. We want to be popular. We want to look good, which isn't bad. It's not bad to desire those things. It's not bad to want to be famous necessarily. But are you giving God the throne of your heart? Are you making God famous in your heart amongst your own community? Are you making sure he's the primary thing? How do you even know that? Well, check. What, what, are, your, what are the things that you're thinking about on a daily basis? Who's the one who's the hero in your daydreams? It's usually you. We're always thinking about ourselves. And we're always trying to become something, to do something impressive, to show that person and to prove that person that we're worth something. And what you fail to realize is that God sees the worth in you already. You don't have to do anything. Angie Murray says, when man seeks to become something, Christ cannot be everything. When you choose to become someone and you want to be known to other people, then God cannot be your all in all. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, if you're wondering, what does that mean? We're, we're not male and female anymore? What is, that, what is that talking about? What he's talking about is we are all equal in the sight of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you love God and you're pursuing after him, we aren't to be holding these different barriers and saying, I have to do this to be worth something because God already sees worth in you. It doesn't have to become improving yourself and doing these things to show other people that you matter in this world because Christ is all that matters and all you care about is showing off him. The only thing that you boast in is the Lord. And if that's your goal, that's your focus, then God's going to use you. It's when God sees you as weak that he's able to use you. Not in your might and not in your power and not in your self capability, but when you say, I am weak, then you are strong, as Paul realized. Tulantavichian says on this, the gospel is good news for losers, not winners. It's for those who long to be freed from the slavery of believing that all of their significance, meaning, purpose, and security depend on their ability to become a better you. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to become anything. You don't have to treat other people unequally either for self-gain because you know that whether you become famous or not, it doesn't matter. Whether you become worth something in other people's eyes, it does not matter because Christ is all that matters and all you're focused on is his glory. So you can approach evangelism in that very same way. You can approach your brothers and sisters, literal brothers and sisters that don't know God and you can talk to them about Jesus, not caring what they think. Like Mark Cahill was talking about, he doesn't want a friend that's a temporary friend. He wants a friend for eternity. So the question is, are we willing to risk, are we willing to sacrifice that kind of relationship with others? Saying the most important thing in my life is how God views me. And not to hold these, these barriers that keep us from reaching other people, from reaching the poor, reaching the filthy, reaching the people that smell bad. Reaching the unpopular. Many of us find ourselves in these cliques where we are of high regard. We are the rich people. 
are we reaching those people that aren't popular? Are we reaching those people that aren't cool in youth group, at school? Are we talking to them? Who, and if we're not, if the cool people in youth group aren't reaching them, then who is? Are any, are, is anyone really reaching these people that are lost and need the gospel? And if not, then we're failing in the mission of God. We're missing out on God's entire royal will, his entire will for our lives, if we're not reaching every single person that we come across, regardless of what they look like, what they smell like, what they... That's where I'll stop. That's it. I was going to say feel like, but then it's like you got rough skin or something. I don't know. I think you guys get the point. So this week, I want you to fulfill that commission. The commission that God has for each and every one of you, which is to reach people for Christ, regardless of these external barriers. Regardless of gender, regardless of whether they're homosexual or not, regardless of whether they're sinners or not, reach these people because they need Jesus. And the world needs to hear more about him. Let's pray.